Welcome everyone to Screams After Midnight. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tim. Hello. I thought you were muted for a second there because you sort of did like a little motion as if you said something before you actually said anything. Try to keep me on my toes. Uh, so this is a horror movie podcast. We talk about horror films. We get together, we've watched the movie, we talk about it. It's really quite that simple. And it is Vampire Month here in January. So we are going to be talking about a film called The Transfiguration, which I saw for the first time last year and knew that we had to do it on the show at some point. So when we decided we were doing a Vampire Month, it made sense that this was one of the films that were going to be uh, put on the list. So uh, did you watch this before now, Tim, or did you see this a while ago? Uh, Yeah, this is my second time watching it. Uh, I forget exactly when I saw it. because it's from a couple of years ago, which I, I definitely didn't see it right when it came out. It's probably, um, probably around the same time you did, probably around last year at some point. Yeah. Um. So the premise of this one, and we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. We'll give you warning before we go into spoilers. But the premise of this one is a teenager named Milo uh, it, it believes he's a vampire, and he is draining people of their blood and drinking their blood, uh, whilst his sort of life is unfolding and he kind of like meets a girl who he kind of bonds with and connects with um, but it's definitely worth mentioning this is a very different type of vampire movie and it's a very different sure. type of horror movie than we typically cover it's, it's it's definitely drama horror and it's it's way more of a character study and a character drama as, as a horror movie um, it's so it's, it's we're definitely going to be talking about it in a different way than we normally do. You know, we, we just recorded the Fright Night review, for example. This is not going to be the same type of conversation that we just had for Fright Night. So very, very unique, very different. Um, it's definitely got that kind of, that indie movie sheen to it, where it's like, uh, we're going to do this, you know, great little character study and you know, make us all feel very tense, very emotional, do all these little different things. Um, and it's not a cheery experience. I'll say that much. It's not a cheery film. No. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it does tackle a lot of different things. It tackles uh, his character, why he is the way he is. You know, what what he's trying to achieve, or why he thinks the way he does. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it also tackles a lot of social issues. It, it you know, it dials into a lot of little things uh, that all kind of forms into a, a movie that kind of goes about beyond what am i trying to say here it goes above and beyond just being a vampire movie about a teenager who's killing people i guess is what i'm trying to say so oh yeah definitely yes so i guess i'll ask the question tim how do you feel about the transfiguration oh yeah i mean uh you know it's great i can't really uh complain about it um the yeah, it, it was funny because, uh, yeah, it's like hasn't been too long since I seen it, but I did, um, you know, before going into it, like I, I was trying to think, I was like, yeah, it, it's kind of funny for Vampire Month because I don't think there's that much uh, vampire stuff in it. But when I rewatched it, there was actually more stuff than I remembered. Um, I, I was actually uh, you know, a little surprised uh, by that. Like, uh, again, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, a full on vampire horror movie in the in the way that you would expect it's not like you know people are you know getting killed and having their blood sucked every five minutes so it's definitely not like that but there's more of a horror aspect than i, I remembered from the first time i watched it but uh 
Yeah, it's a very indie movie, uh, you know, in the way it sucks you in and the characters are very compelling. Uh, you know, the performances are great. Like, I, I love Milo, uh, you know, the uh, the girl, uh, so, apologize, forget uh, her character's name. Sophie? Sophie, yeah, uh, like, she's great. Uh, I really like the brother, too. I think he has, like, a very interesting, like, character. Uh, and, yeah, there's just a, a lot that uh, to unpack here, um, you know, uh, and... You know, it, like you said, it you know it's definitely more on the drama ho horror side, but you know the horror elements that are there are are really good, and then, uh, you know the other stuff is, <clears throat> you know, very thoughtful and compelling as well. Uh, I I probably do have like a few nitpicks like here and there, like, um, I I do think, it it does like some indie tropes that I'm kind of like, all right, <laughs> I don't think like we need, like I don't know, there's just some something about like indie movies where i just feel like every character like pauses uh for like five minutes before they like say anything it, it always like kind of gets me um but i mean I, I think it's like very like uh you know very very small minor complaints to you know what is like a really really good you know uh thought-provoking you know intense kind of movie i the word the word you use there thought-provoking which I guess is two words, but <laughs> you know, that that I think sums it up in the best possible way. Uh, I loved this when I saw it last year. I, it's it surprised me. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just I'd heard like a loose recommendation. I don't know if it was from a podcast or something, but I just I'd heard the Transfigurations worth watching, and I just I, I was blown away by what it was. I, I think right away it has this kind of like stark, you know handheld fly in the wall kind of filmmaking style particularly during the horror sequences that make it feel very visceral and make it feel very kind of almost too real in some ways despite the fact that what's happening is kind of fantastical and in, in, in a in a sense um yeah. and but ultimately like as a character journey that kind of explores why he has these urges and why he's doing what he's doing and he's a character and you're probably thinking you know we mentioned that he you know, he thinks he's a vampire. It's not so much that he actually is a real vampire or that real vampires even exist in this world. But he does love vampire movies, so the subject does come up very frequently. Uh, but it's it's more about, like, what does that say about him and how he views himself, uh, how he views the world. One of the things that the camera does a lot in this movie that I really... I noticed it the first time, but I was really... Obviously, second time watch here, hadn't even been that long since my first watch, so I was really taking in some of these details a little bit more, is... So often when he's walking around uh, the city or going home or, or wherever, like, the camera does a lot of wide shots. There's a lot of wide handheld shots of him just, like, in his world and showing the world around him. And I think that's a big part of this movie is, especially when you tackle from the social side of things, of, um, you know, him growing up in this, this poor neighborhood as a black teenager and how, you know, people in his community treat him, how police treat him, how all these things treat him, like... It's this idea that it's very much about how he views himself in the world because the world has conditioned him to view himself a certain way. This is his value in the world. And, like, there's, so there's a real, obviously, sadness to that. There's a real sadness to what the society has kind of done to him. But then there's a personal side of it, which is, you know, we get into a backstory of his, why his parents aren't around, you know, like, and their deaths and what that's done to him. And that comes into it. So I think the, the character drama is wonderful. And, but ultimately like, does it work on a uh like a scene-to-scene -scene entertainment or uh 
drama level. It absolutely does because yeah. I get so invested in the relationship of Milo and Sophie and all of their kind of awkward like back and forth and like the, the <coughs> genuine sweet moments between them and worried that she's going to find out what he does or worried that he's going to screw it up by you know doing something sinister or weird or or, or dare I say even just being worried that he's going to kill her at some point which is something that definitely crosses yeah. your mind at several moments throughout the movie and you really don't want it you you want this to be the happy ending and for him to you know go out and move on and find that happy life um so like the vampire thing works as as a metaphor it works obviously it's it's a kind of a literal thing one of the things that i was thinking the first time i watched it is that you know is he even really doing any of this is this all in his head and the movie actually yeah. makes it very clear as it goes on that it's not in his head like that's not mm. what the movie is but yeah uh, it's the sort of thing where you could have done a version of this where it was just in his head but I think the actually having him do these things is is you know again you go back into like you know like he he he's viewed as a monster so he became as a monster to have the power and feel like he's in control uh, kind of thing. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on and I, uh, this is one of these movies where I watch it and I go like I you know I think I get the gist of what it was getting at but I feel like three different people could write three different books as to what this movie's really about and they could all oh, be completely easily. different yeah. and they'd all be completely valid and. I think that's it's strange. I think it's a you know it's a definitely an indie movie. It's a low budget movie. Uh, I do recognize the actress who plays Sophie Chloe Savini, who popped up in the OA. She was in a couple other things recently. She's she's one of these actors who all of a sudden in the last like five years has has popped up in like pro- probably a bunch of stuff. Oh, sorry, Chloe Levine, not Levine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no no e at the end. Um, but yeah, yeah she was. It- yeah, how do you go? Oh no, no! I mean, yeah, just her and my uh, Milo are, yeah, both uh, actors are really great, and yeah, oh. <laughs> definitely would love to see see him in more stuff. Phenomenal! I mean, yeah, she popped up on uh, Depraved, which we did uh, just at the start oh, of the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. She was an episode of Mister Robot. She was an episode of The Deuce. <laughs> she she Deuce. was in uh, some of the Marvel Netflix shows. Uh, well, she's in Defenders at least. Um, you know, so she, all of a sudden she she was kind of popping up in a few places at once, and it was like, oh wait, I kind of really know who this actor is now because she's just yeah. suddenly appeared and everything. Um, yeah, she loves the pop up. She loves to pop up, yes. Um, but but yeah, both of them are very very good, and it's you know I I I think it's very low budget, and there's so many movies that we talk about now where you can feel the budget and you can feel you're just constantly reminded of how cheap something is. And when I watched this movie, it not once, not once in the entire thing did it even pop it in my mind I'm watching something that has no money. Because, sure. one, first of all, they shoot in real locations, so there's, everything looks like it feels like the real world. That's number one. Mm. And then number two, the writing is actually telling a compelling story that has layers to it. Mm. So it doesn't have that, you know, the characters are trying to, like, stall for time, or it doesn't feel like they're mm. trying to, like, I don't know, pretend to have a plot. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, like, the mo- uh, on you go, on you go. <laughs> like, this is like kind of what, like what makes me angry because yeah, I assume there was like very little budget probably, you know, for this, and you know it looks like really really good. Uh, so it kind of makes me mad whenever you watch like you know some VOD horror movie and there's like this just really ugly like digital kind of look to it, you know, where it's like no, like you can you know make movies on the cheap that still like actually look like a movie you know 
Yeah, it just kind of accentuates the idea that the skill behind the camera is a is a reason why so many movies suck. <laughs> like <laughs> that, it's, it's it's why I I never like That's when someone when someone tries to remember like you know defend a movie like the mm-hmm. the you know we don't like or, or even just or just in general when I see it online and they'll say mm-hmm. well you have to give it you know a break because you know it's very low budget and I'm like mm-hmm. shit. Halloween was low budget and it's like a masterpiece. Don't don't, yeah. don't give me this. Like I, I get that people are struggling and you know they're starting out and they're trying to do their best. But I, I think Michael Shea, who wrote and directed this, uh mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's a great movie. It, like it feel, it looks yeah. good, performance is good, the script is strong. Um <laughs> I, I I can't recommend this one enough, to be honest. This I mean, don't get me wrong, if you're looking for like a traditional horror movie, okay, it's not it's not gonna fill that void for you. It's just not that type of movie but if you want something with a bit more nuance with a bit of uh a bit of weight to it a a, a character story that has horror in it and the horror comes from not only kind of the the vampire stuff that's being kind of enacted in the film but also just the you know the 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 sadness of where this character is and what's got him there is very horrific and when you stop and think about it it's kind of that sort of subtle like real world horror kind of stuff yeah no totally and uh again i i always like the setting because i feel like it's you know strangely enough that something you don't really see in a lot of uh horror movies and uh and again like you you probably do see this more in like you know indie drama stuff but uh i just like stuff that's like set in you know these kind of like inner cities uh and stuff like um you know i feel like so much uh horror is just always you know like uh in the suburbs or you know in like uh summer camp or, or something uh yeah it's just a you know setting that you don't see a lot of uh or at least enough of yeah it's always a secluded well not always but often a secluded area where yeah. there is something to be said about having horror that where you're surrounded by millions of people and it still doesn't matter mm-hmm. like the, the thing's still going to come for you or the things or in this mm-hmm. case the people around you are partly to blame for the world that you're in and the horror that you're living through. And I, I think it's really uh, interesting to see how this environment kind of shapes you and like, uh, you know, how you kind of learn, you know, to adapt and like survive in it. And like, you see that there's things that he does to, you know, kind of like avoid, like, you know, getting in trouble with certain people. And then you see like, there's certain way that the cops act like, Jesus, um, the the one scene where the cops are driving him home is like such a like shitty thing for them to do. Like Jesus Christ, uh, but yeah, like it, it's a you know interesting <clears throat> to see like yeah how this uh, environment affects everyone. Yeah, um, and you know credit where credit is due because they made me really like Sophie, despite the <laughs> fact that she has a line early on that should almost oh. <laughs> just about cancel any character i actually i laughed out loud when i first watched it and i laughed out loud again when i watched it this time uh but when you know she sees that he has all these vampire like movies it's like are you really into horror and he's like oh vampire movies and she just goes like twilight <laughs> you should watch it it's really good twilight's really good like, I'm like oh my god what kill her kill her now <laughs> but no, I think, uh, and I, I think though, like, uh, I think that generally like does work, and, and it actually does like lead <laughs> to a really good callback in the end. But, um, I, I, I think like, you know, th- that could be like a bit more of like a groaner thing if it was like, <clears throat> you know, dealing with like older people or, or stuff. But I feel like you know, for the time of this movie and like the age these kids are, though, like, I, I do feel it's like kind of believable that, yeah, like she would be like 
you know, in the twilight and stuff, and like, yeah, he would be like, yeah. nah. <laughs> it, it's a little... It's a little boring. I think what impresses me actually is, you know, this movie, you know, he sees tapes at one point and you can see all the labels and you see a bunch of vampire mm-hmm. movies. He brings up vampire. He's got really good taste in vampire movies, might I add. Uh, he, oh, sure. he brings up Let the Right One In. He, you know, he talks about, he even talks about Martin. Uh, mm-hmm. Near Dark, he mentions. In fact, let's be honest, the only thing he doesn't mention that he really should is the hit television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> sure. quite frankly. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, there's so many mentions of like these different movies and talking about the rules from different things and what he thinks is right or wrong. I think there's so many like movies or TV shows where this could just feel like Ready Player One, where they're just referencing sure. tons of things, and it never feels like that. Every every time it feels natural. It feels like no, he really he's really obsessed with this in an unhealthy way as well. I, I think that's one of the things is that when you watch Ready Player One or a movie that's mm. obsessed with referencing things, it's like a Kevin Smith movie or something. Yeah. Right? Like, you get the feeling, like, it's always this place of, like, oh, I love this thing. You know, the, you know, the filmmaker loves this thing, so they want you to, like, just name drop <laughs> stuff left and right. And there's examples where it works a little bit better. Like, I think Stranger Things pulls it off better, where it's uh, just sort of, like, it's in the world, it's the background, these are the things that are going on, but it's not like the characters yeah. are constantly referencing things. Um, but I, I feel like here, it's not being used in that same way. Like, because the vampire thing is such a metaphor and such a an active part of his character and what he's doing... Him, when he brings it up, it doesn't feel like... Sure, he loves the things, but it never comes from this place of endearment. It always seems to come from... Like, when he starts talking about which ones he thinks are quote-unquote realistic, mm-hmm. it, it feels kind of sad. It feels like he's he's a kind of obsessed with these things, and it, it feels like a very negative thing for his character, that he mm-hmm. is this kind of obsessed in this unhealthy way with with this particular thing so it doesn't even though it's like you know pointing out which ones are good and i'm sure the filmmakers believe you know agree with us and this they're, they're pointing out let the right one in because it's a goddamn great movie and like <laughs> we should know about it but hmm. i don't think it comes from a we want to name drop these things for that reason it always seems to come up in a sense where it, it, it's portraying again how unhealthy he is with these movies and it's portraying his thought <laughs> process and it's all of it kind of feeds into a negative thing you know that's relevant yeah. to his character as opposed to oh we just want to name drop a bunch of vampire movies because that'll be fun yeah kind of it feels a it feels a lot more natural versus like you know if you do hear people talking about movies and something like a kevin smith movie or like a quentin tarantino movie or something like you know the dialogue is so snappy and clever and like i mean that can be entertaining but it's also like no one really talks about movies like that in their everyday life like this actually feels like oh yeah this is just how someone would talk about these things if they liked them you know yeah uh, in fact hell she even brings up true blood again another awful mark against the character <laughs> but she brings up true blood and she talks about a scene from true blood that actually kind of becomes relevant into a thematic sense for later in the movie um <laughs> so i'll save what it is until we get to spoilers but uh i don't know i i, I think it handled that all very uh yeah, just in a deft way. Uh, also, before we get to spoilers, I want to mention the poster because it's phenomenal. It's like it's just oh, a, yeah. it's the silhouette of like you know him walking, but his shadow is Nosferatu. You know, for the classic nineteen mm-hmm. you know twenties Nosferatu shadow. Yeah. Uh, really neat. Yeah, and like even when like they show like snippets of like movies and stuff, there's a lot I didn't even like recognize. That I think like um at the end of the movie, I was like looking at the. You know, like they were listening, like, oh, you mm. know, this clip from this thing, this clip from this thing, and I was like, wow, like, <laughs> yeah, some of these, like, uh, were beyond me. 
I'm, I'm sure we'll get to them all someday. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, am I to assume that there may be, if not public domain, they're the cheaper things to get a hold of, right, Spies? Probably, uh, yeah. And that's why sure. these are the ones we actually see clips of when he's watching stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, all right, well, I, I think... Uh, we've sung the praises a little bit so uh, i will thank our patreon producers at the time of recording so thank you to tyler hess cindy palisius david short Bornow, al tribesman christopher moy brett williams and david brown they are patreon producers for the month uh that we recorded uh if you want the updated list of the time this goes out they'll be on screen at the end of the video version um but we are recording in advance because tim's got on paternity mm-hmm. leave so mm-hmm. yes that's true he's going to be a uh, He's, he's sired a, a child. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm trying to get at. All right. So, uh, yes, uh, full spoilers, uh, of course. Oh, and like and subscribe. I should always point out the free th- ways to support us because sure. they are equally valid and even mm-hmm. easier and simpler to do. So hit the like button on YouTube. Rate the podcast five stars and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts from. All these things are super important. Okay. So full spoilers for the Transfiguration. Um. So, yeah, so much of this is, like, character stuff. I mean, I, I mean, the movie opens, of course, with a character in a bathroom kind of hearing some noises and leaving. And then we see mm. that, that Milo is sucking the blood from some man's neck who's, who's lying mm. there kind of dead. Um, and it feels kind of disgusting and, and gross because it is, you know, it's, it's presented in a very realistic way where he's just been sucking the blood out of some guy's neck, you know, a hole that he's made in his neck with a knife. Yeah. Uh, it's... Yeah, you know, like I say, it feels visceral. It's a really stark opening, and then you follow him, uh, you know, home, and you follow him to school where he has to meet a guidance counselor, uh, which does. I mean, I'd forgotten about this, but it, it, the guidance counselor does make a point of asking, "Are you thinking about hurting animals?" Which maybe suggests that he was actually doing this to animals first. Like he did escalate to to people. That makes sense. Yeah, at, at some point along the way. Um, but yeah and obviously he he meets sophie I, one of the little character details that i really liked or visual touches that i liked is that when he first meets sophie sophie's waiting on the elevator and the elevator's broken and he kind of like says hey the elevator's you know not working um and she goes into the the, the, the stairwell and she's got bags and she looks up and i love when she yells up for help because she needs help carrying the bags like her hair's basically covering most of her face it's kind of like it's showing where she is like as a character right now as well because uh, I think one of the, one of the big things that I felt as watching this, especially the second time, is that they're actually both in a place where they're kind of undead, right? To to go with the mm. the metaphor of the vampire here, they're both undead because they feel that they don't have a life and they don't have a future, and that their, mm. their lives are kind of over from what they were before, and they're in this rut. And you know the 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 bittersweet ending where she gets to move on and resurrect, if you will, uh, and he does not is i i think kind of like a lot of what the you know the the push and pull like heart of the film is and you know so i I think establishing that she is equally i mean maybe not equally because she's not you know killing people Mm. (laughs) but you know she she is also in a really bad place and a a place where she is ready to transform and uh you know move into something else and the idea that milo kind of lets her do that like you know his existence in her life is what gives her that opportunity uh yeah yeah like it's a really interesting and like depressing like thing to think about where you know so often you feel like uh you know you're trying to like uplift kids and be like 
hey, like, you know, uh, you can be anything you want to be and you're the future and like you're going to be so successful someday. And it's like, yeah, because of, you know, their like, you know, economic situation and everything and like living in the inner city and you're not really having like, you know, like uh, parental figures and, and stuff. It's like they're not really seen as having this bright future. It's just kind of like, you know, that they're just trying to kind of eke by and like, you know, you know, become a, as the least amount of trouble that they can be. And it's like, uh, yeah, like just, you know, really like kind of, you know, dark and depressing. And uh, I think that's why it's like interesting when you see like little bits throughout the movie where, you know, you're reminded that, oh yeah, these are kids. Like, you know, like later on when they're watching like YouTube videos and laughing and stuff. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, like, you, you know, there's such like serious like characters, uh, you know, throughout most of the movie, but every now and again, it's like, oh, wait, no, they're supposed to be kids. They're supposed to be, like, running around, playing and laughing and having fun. You know, they're not supposed to be, like, you know, this dark and depressed, you know, this early on <laughs> in their life. <laughs> yeah, and and they both went through stuff, of course, to, that's led mm -hmm. them here. You know, she's living with her abusive, like, grandfather uh, in here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Milo is with his brother, who, you know, again, quote-unquote, is also undead in the sense that he's just kind of in the shrub. They're both in this rut after the, the suicide of their mother. That's something we learned throughout the, the film. Mm -hmm. And we even see that, you know, in a quick sort of flashback moment that she slit her wrists and this was maybe the first time that Milo did actually go over and, like, maybe, like, drink some blood because he, 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 he mm -hmm. tasted some of her blood. And, mm -hmm. you know, his father died of an illness uh, when he was young. Because what stuck out to me is when, when he was describing the illness that his father had is that he, uh, you know, he, he knew for a while and he was sick for a long time before he eventually died. And I kind of, again, read that as like, you know, he was undead for some time with no hope of like, you know, moving on or, or getting better before he eventually did go. Um, and this idea that these characters are all, are all in these places, this, this, you know, this undead state of they've went through something traumatic and it feels like life is over. It feels like life can never get better. Um, because you know his older brother is just like he's all we ever see him do is sitting on the couch watching tv that's all he's ever doing yeah. uh and there's a, I don't know, there's a couple of heartwarming moments where he kind of perks up a little bit when he tries when he when he gets a little he gets a little happy for milo at a couple of mm -hmm. points when he sees he's happy with someone and mm -hmm. he has he tries to he gets a little concerned when milo might be in trouble with the gang members who you know are constantly outside the building um who of course factor into the plot quite heavily uh the further yeah. we go on yeah, and I think the brother's a really interesting, interesting character because, like, they they don't talk about it much, but he was in like the was it the army or something like that? Yeah, they mentioned like, it, it doesn't get too specific. You assume it was just that he was in the military, but yeah. uh, Milo says when you were over there, did you ever see a dead body? And he talks about seeing body parts, but he never killed anyone. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, that's uh, it's just just another interesting aspect because, like, on on the surface, it you know at, at first almost seems like a you know kind of like a boring, uninteresting character because, like you say, he's just constantly watching tv he has like a very kind of monotone like you know way of speaking and you know he kind of speaks in just very you know short sentences and stuff but then when they add that little detail i feel like it opens the character up a little bit more where uh yeah like he's you know probably you know seen some shit like you know he's probably in like shell shock and you know that's why he's kind of like holed up in the house and just trying to like deaden himself by just well, you know constant barrage of tv so he doesn't have to think about you know whatever yeah, I think that, and then obviously the suicide of his mother, because they talk because yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they both admit at one point that they, they both miss her, I, mm -hmm. and you know again it's going back to this like society and like like having no hope of like breaking out what society says you already are, 
because he mm-hmm. it mentions at one point that the gang members outside used to be his friends and yeah i think the assumption if you want to read into this a little bit at least that i made is that you know he was friends with them at a younger age right because i mean he's not that old because obviously he's he's still yeah. male's older brother so he, he can't be that i mean okay he can have brothers who have big gaps but he seems like he's in his early to mid-20s and yeah. i got the impression from that line when they mentioned that he used to be friends with the gang members is that they were friends when they were kids teenagers maybe and when they started to get into more like gang-like activity and they started going down these paths of carrying guns and and so on and so on he split away from that maybe at the advice of his mother or for whatever else but he he chose a different path and he to be good you know to to make the right choice quote-unquote he chose the military because he didn't have the option of going to college because they couldn't afford Mm -hmm. to do that and he you know he ends up back home and instead of being in the gang he is like just disturbed by what he saw and you know his life isn't really all that much better off for doing it um yeah and kind of this idea like oh again it's just this this he's essentially a side character in the story but mm-hmm. even he adds this extra layer of someone who went into the military presumably with the promise of this is going to make his life better you know he'll come back you know he'll mm-hmm. get help with other things because he was he served in the military and so on and so on but ultimately it's not really led him anywhere else and i, I think one of the really sad parts of like the the metaphor of the whole movie for for milo is that there's a there's a line really towards the end where he's talking about monsters and you know and again it's, he's kind of referring to himself but he's talking about how monsters and how some people don't deserve to to come back like you know he's not mm-hmm. good and he never will be he'll always will be this this monster and it's this idea that society kind of already has made its mind up on who he is because he's mm-hmm. a black kid in like the city and yeah. you know the gang's always harassing him the police are harassing him he's, he's not got this thing and then on top of that you've got obviously the the, the personal tragedies of the, the death of the parents but it's this idea that he becomes this monster, he becomes this vampire, because he already feels like he's ostracized from society in this way where he is kind of like seen as this, this not I mean not necessarily evil entity, but he's already seen as this outsider uh, mm-hmm. who is ignored. And I think there's almost like a, a power fantasy almost in that by by, by becoming this this monster, this this vampire he's taking control you know now he's the one who's doing the the the, the stalking he's the one who's preying upon the weak mm-hmm. and the innocent and and so on and obviously he's literally doing this so you can't necessarily forgive him for the fact that he's killing people throughout the movie or the right. fact that i mean he literally kills a child at one point like you know the, yeah. uh and probably one of the most tensest like most extreme horror scenes of the whole movie and the, the sad part of the ending is which you know, there's a lot of talk throughout the film. And I, I, instead of going through an order, I'm kind of jumping around just to th- th- fit my theme here. But right. he, like, it's brought up repeatedly that he doesn't think a vampire can kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not possible. It's against the rules or or something. And this is what I was talking about earlier, where Sophie brings up an example from True Blood. She talks about the vampire that made Eric, I believe was what she said, uh, was so <laughs> guilty about what they'd done that they, 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 they just sat on the roof and waited for sunrise until they died. And I, because I knew what the ending was going to be this time, I was thinking about that when she said that. I was like, oh, that's kind of what the end of the movie is. It's like, yeah. it's Milo as a vampire deciding to get himself killed because <laughs> he feels guilty about what he's done. Uh, and he has to, you know, move on. So, but it's this idea that he, like, society's already decided that he is what he is. So he is kind of manifested that into something 
that is actually horrific, that is this, that is that. And the real world applications of this are, are of course, society gives up on you so you end up in crime or you end up like his brother, you know, serving the military and ended up broken mm. in that way or or whatever. Um and this is like a, an extreme example of someone kind of avoiding that. So that that's kind of analyzing from the society side of things. I think from the other side of things, mm. uh the personal stuff, uh you, you you talk about his mother dying and the idea that both his parents because it sounds like his father was kind of like undead quote-unquote you know as he was sick again mm-hmm. i'm just trying to tie it back into the metaphor metaphor of the vampire right um and then again his mother presumably who was really sad after that for years before she eventually killed herself again was in this place where she felt she could never like, recover and she was you know, again quote-unquote undead so it's almost <laughs> like and he mentions this a couple of times in the film where he you know he talks about inheriting things and he talks about how vampires pass on the, the disease you know via blood and mm-hmm. it's almost like he believes he's inherited the sadness that he can overcome the sadness of his parents and I, I just so i think it works from like a couple of different angles and i don't think either one i can really give you like a full like like essay as to how they both work <laughs> thematically but i can see them both being there and both of them work really well and there's obviously other scenes we're going to talk about that tie into either one um <laughs> but uh I, I loved all that mm. stuff because it, it, it just it felt so enriched in what it was doing and it made the character even though he was killing people it made mm. him such a sympathetic and just a like a, a sad subject to to watch and sort of yeah. really kind of like explore what you know why he is the way he is i just i, 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 yeah. I found it a very hard-hitting movie what i'm trying to say oh yeah definitely and it's very um i i think there's, there's you know so many like different like themes and stuff and metaphors you know, like you're talking about that you can take out of it. And, uh, it's the movie, I don't know, just does such a like fantastic way of portraying them. It, it almost like seems easy because it's like, you know, nothing is ever like there, like there's so much that you can get out of it, but nothing is ever like stated. Like, you know, the, like the stuff that you're talking about, like, it's not like, you know, like they hit you over the head with it. Like, see, this oh, no, is why yeah. he's acting this way. Or like, you know, they're not constantly bringing up the parents or everything. It's just like everything is just there enough to, uh, like really, really get you the sense of like this life and uh, and everything that they're doing and why they're acting this way. But it's just really masterfully done the way it, yeah, like conveys that information. Yeah, it doesn't overplay its hand. Uh, just to sort of go back to the the society thing again, just for a, a second. I just want mm-hmm. to. The final point I guess I want to make, the really sad part of this, is that society has convinced him that he is this and he's never going to become anything else or get out of it. Uh, so he doesn't see an ending. He doesn't see like a happy, like, you know, get out of this sort of thing. Um, he doesn't see a possibility of him ever being anything other than this monster. Um, mm-hmm. And when he realizes that he is a monster, you know, he wants to, he feels mm-hmm. guilty, he wants to atone. And I think the idea that he's tempted to kill Sophie is what kind of ultimately is the, the wake-up call for him. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's notable that he stops killing for a bit, he like forgets to go out and kill. He forgets, because he's got like a calendar, he keeps track of when he's supposed mm-hmm. to go out and feed. Quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he kind of forgets. Yeah. Because the- she's this positive influence on him. Yeah. And uh and it's interesting too that like that can kinda you can relay that to the kind of like vampire stuff he likes. Like I I mean, you know, given his taste and everything, I don't think he would like Twilight anyway, but like, you know, the idea of maybe these more positive, you know, vampire things where 
they're more like these kind of like romantic heroes and stuff like you know that that's you know he can't see himself as that he can only see himself as you know like the more villainous monstrous versions you know with the in the media that he consumes and whatnot yeah yeah uh so i think all that stuff is absolutely wonderful i mean there's obviously some key scenes we have to like talk about uh there's a scene where this this white couple sort of like drive up in the neighborhood oh, yeah, yeah. and they just call him over and this is like the like the most absurd like just random like profiling i've ever seen in my life <laughs> uh, in a movie where this couple just shout over milo and say if, ask him if he can get if they can get him drugs and mm-hmm. based on nothing other than that he is a black teenager in yeah this neighborhood um <laughs> but milo sees this as an opportunity and says yeah follow me and he leads the guy into like the basement of the building and then hides and in walks like the gang members who you know harass milo like you know every so often we see him sort of like you know make fun of him stop him from getting the building uh, that kind of thing and they basically they get offended when the guy asks like if they can get him drugs and like wait you think we're all drug dealers just because we're here and mm-hmm. basically call him out on exactly what everyone was thinking when he when he tried to talk to milo uh, but it yeah. escalates <laughs> when they, they he kind of jokingly gives a younger gang member a gun and says hey why don't you shoot him and he says that he never expected him to actually pull the trigger but once he does and the the, the guy's like on the floor like you know bleeding he's like well i need to finish this now and he kills him and they all run but it, it brings the police to the building and it leads to a lot of stuff here where uh the, the scene you mentioned earlier where the police like after they've questioned uh, milo they they drop him off back in the place but they make a point of letting everyone see him be dropped off without handcuffs and one of them even shouts out oh you know stay safe milo uh, see you later yeah. buddy as if they're being friendly the whole idea being that they want everyone to think that he snitched uh yeah. to you know give, and, him, give him hell basically yeah it's like it's kind of like a subtle thing because like at at first i don't exactly get what they're doing but then once you see that they're like yeah drop him off here like right in front of the gang members like oh shit it's like such a like yeah heinous like <laughs> you know like evil thing to do um but yeah and the and again it's like yeah one of those more like you know messed up like kind of societal things where like you know the cops aren't treating him like a human or like a kid or whatever like they don't care about the consequences they're just looking you know to get you know what they need from him and it's uh really messed up yeah that's horrific and you know this is actually one of the times where his brother gets openly concerned he's like you know if they, if they mm-hmm. think you snitched i can't protect you from them you know that right and yeah. he gets very concerned and makes it very clear uh, it's one of the few times that i remember him getting off the couch because <laughs> he, he comes yeah. into the, the, the room to like really make his point uh against them um but uh and th- this is you know this is all happening and then you also have i mean that this leads to the ending of course as well because we see that every time milo kills someone he like t- you know steals whatever they've got in their wallet if they have any valuables on them he'll take them and so he's, he's got like a little bag of like all this stuff he's collected and he gives a lot of the the stolen stuff to uh the lead gang member and basically gets him arrested uh for for, for the murder of not only the, the guy in the the, the the building that he did kill but the, the the family that the Milo killed uh, across town, and this is kind of his suicide play because this is what you mean, as he's narrating, he's talking about how you know, but a vampire can't kill himself, but he can maybe like arrange for his death. You know, he, he can set something up so that he can die, 
and basically knowing full well that this gang member will know exactly you know how he was framed once he realizes why he's what the evidence is and there'll be a retaliation and sure enough you know we see milo get shot down at the end of the film and it's really sad because we get this montage of like him being like, taken to the uh, the coroner and uh you know the autopsy then in the coffin and being buried and it's all playing out uh as sophie has her kind of happy ending where she's like you know mm-hmm. off to her cousins and a different state and you know all the rest of it yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's really sad. And they, cause they kind of had a uh, falling out for a bit. Uh, you know, Milo and Sophie when she discovered like his journals. Uh, but then, yeah, like this ending kind of seems like they're coming together again. And then like she doesn't even like really realize what happened to him at first. You know, she's about to leave. Uh, you know, go on with her better life, and she's like, you know, trying to call him, and you know, not uh, yeah, I think just phones going to like voicemail or whatever. Um, it's really sad and touching yeah i mean their story because we can't obviously want to go back and talk about this because they've got a lot mm-hmm. of stuff they they because they, they get really close to the point where she ends up staying with them uh because mm-hmm. their, their grandfather's so abusive and they have this really blossoming relationship where they're really happy uh it's kind of weird actually because they're, they're teenagers essentially living together and yeah uh, <laughs> you know she actually finds all of his weird diaries and like rules and stuff when he's like out like you know paying bills it's, it's a really weird like grown-up relationship for a couple yeah. of teenagers um and we didn't even mention that she she does self-harm we see her like cutting her wrists oh, yeah. early on and it's right after she's been like having like i actually thought she was getting paid at first i don't know if she actually was it may have just been more of a uh like a not a self-pity thing but like a like she's, she's here with like a, a group of guys like out in like a like a mm-hmm. field um and they're taking turns with her uh and there's this kind of sympathy and i wonder if you can maybe like correlate this and say her putting herself like in this position is kind of similar to his vampire thing this is kind of how she's like putting herself in this place that society expects her to be in sure. um you know you can say like society expects him to be a criminal and it expects her to be a whore kind of thing you know that, that's kind of like mm-hmm. what the movie's maybe drawing allusions to um yeah but they both deserve better. They both deserve to have more than that. They both deserve to be other things and and people that they want to be. And you know, ultimately, Milo gives her all of the money that he's got and says, "Don't tell anyone you've got it. Just go." And she wants him to come too. And you want him to go with her. You want him to have his fresh start and like get out of this life. Um, and maybe you can almost like you almost respect him a little bit for knowing that he has this like thirst to kill and he's he's, he's he wants to like stop himself. But it's really sad mm. because then you look at it from all the you know all the metaphorical context and the, the social context and it's like no this is really sad this is this is someone who doesn't see a future for himself so he's accepting that he's going to die young he's accepting this uh in a really sad way uh, it's it's hard hitting but uh <laughs> but yeah she yeah she gets scared when she finds all that stuff for a little bit but there's a lot of sweet moments mm. there's a moment where the brother lewis like t- uh, talks to her and says, you know, you really like him? And she just sort of smiles and says yes. And it's a really genuine moment that, you know, adds a lot of heart to the film, I thought. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, like the, the it, like, again, it, it's kind of weird because, um, you know, like, like you said, it is kind of like a, a very weirdly, like, adult relationship where, like, yeah, like, they're living together and he's going out and, like, you know, like paying bills and like doing laundry and stuff. But then <laughs> every now and again, though, like you, you do get like the kind of like little glimpses of 
like how they should be though where they do seem more kid-like and they're kind of like giggling and stuff and like well well, um, well she's giggling notably when they're watching the dumb youtube video yeah. she's laughing hysterically <laughs> he's sitting there looking like he wants to murder everyone uh which i mean the video looked very unfunny to me so i think i'm on his side with this this uh particular oh yeah i mean it's i don't really understand <laughs> the appeal of it but i mean again like i'm sure that is something that like a, a kid that age would probably laugh at and and think is funny and um yeah it, i don't know it, it is kind of like a yeah like a a, a weird relationship where it, it does seem like you know she wants to get him into like these more i don't know like lighter um less intense things but he's just like you know very hard for him to stray away from his like you know like the brooding horror of the stuff he likes yeah which is hey totally fine but yeah he takes her to the movies to see the original nosferatu um <laughs> And she says, I like the music, but I like Twilight more. <laughs> I think was the, was the, <laughs> the review she gave when they left the theater. Um, but no, they have, they have, there's a lot of scenes with them, particularly in the sort of the first half to the middle of the film where they're, you know, they'll be talking about the vampire rules and stuff and like his philosophy and talking about them. You know, it really shines a light. I think especially on a repeat viewing when I know where it's going and kind of what the movie ultimately is saying that mm-hmm. you kind of notice like how he discusses them how he sees them, how he talks about them. Um, mm. And yeah, she is constantly trying to like say, hey, look at this more lighthearted thing. Uh, she buys him Twilight, the book, uh, <laughs> which, as you mentioned, has a great payoff at the end because he leaves her a note <laughs> with the money that says, I read Twilight, it really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, especially, <clears throat> it's so funny, like his, because um, he's kind of doing like a, like a voiceover narration when, you know she's reading the letter and it's just like his uh delivery of it is so great it's kind of like you know i I guess in general he kind of has like a deadpan way of talking but like Mm. yeah when he says that at the end it makes me laugh yeah it makes her laugh as well because it it makes me feel really Mm. sweet i do love the idea though that this like is essentially is like one big long joke to make fun of twilight but it's wrapped up in a really classy indie art house movie that's like really well done (laughs) yeah for sure but it literally ends with a joke at twilight's expense which is really funny to me <laughs> yeah um but i mean one thing we haven't talked about yet is the horror scenes themselves which i think we should probably oh, sure. discuss those those scenes uh because the, the first one is just you know he's, he's already sort of attacked uh, we see him kind of lie in wait for like a homeless guy under the bridge in the park mm-hmm. at one point uh which again is sort of shot in silhouette it's from a distance it feels very visceral though um actually reminds me a little bit of um uh let the right one in mm-hmm. I, like that you know there there's that scene like under the bridge or whatever um so I, I don't know if that was an homage to it but it kind of reminded me of that yeah it may have been uh for sure and then you have this is a scene where he like is thinking about killing this kid who's like ball like comes that's down. intense yeah, yeah. <laughs> super intense because he's being kind of nice to him in a sort of really deadpan way but the kid mm-hmm. like thanks him and he's got his pen which is actually a blade he's sort of got it ready mm-hmm. Uh, but he lets him go and it's interesting because this is where this is the point in the movie where he forgets to like, keep feeding and it's after uh i was gonna say chloe there because that's his name but uh, mm-hmm. it's after sophie finds the stuff and kind of flees for a bit because she eventually comes back and apologizes for you know freaking out and like you know, so you're writing like a book about vampires or something like that. you know she tries to sort of justify mm-hmm. in her mind why he would have these really specific rules and stuff mm-hmm. but uh 
And I think that's part of the, the, the beauty of the relationship as well, is that, you know, when she tries to ask him to go with her towards the end, and he says that he's not good and he never will be, which, again, is that really sad sort of, like, way he views himself because of the world. Um, <laughs> she's like, I already know you're a weirdo. It doesn't matter. Like, she accepts him for who he is. It's kind of a beautiful thing. And again, yes, if you literally take into the account that he's murdering <laughs> people, yes, it's, it's, that doesn't quite work in the, in the context. But, um, but uh, yeah, so... so he actually, so he stopped killing, but once she flees and he's on his own and he tries to pretend that it's not a big deal, he doesn't care, but he mm-hmm. immediately has to go out and kill. Like he immediately mm-hmm. starts going out into the streets and he starts to, he tries to find someone that he can kill and he finds this sort of drunk guy, follows him home and it's, you know, the, the drunk guy doesn't lock his door behind him so he just comes in the, the apartment and he sees this this kid, this, this little girl, this guy's daughter is just kind of standing mm-hmm. there and he has to he rushes her and stabs her in the neck and drinks mm-hmm. her blood and notably vomits it out afterwards uh mm-hmm. i thought um which is maybe again a sign of him like sort of really seeing the horror of what he's doing but he still does mm-hmm. go into the other bedroom and like kills the guy and drinks his blood though um, yeah but because it's almost an interesting idea of like what, at what point did he decide like was her being scared of what she found and mm-hmm. fleeing is this the moment where he really started to decide that he had to find a way of killing himself? Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, did, did he intentionally go to this house and commit this crime because he knew he was going to frame mm-hmm. the gang member for it? Is that something? Uh, yeah, could be. Um, not sure. <laughs> he could have thought of that afterwards, admittedly, because he always takes stuff yeah. anyway, but uh, it was it was something that I definitely uh, thought about for sure. Um, and I, I think it is noble. I think it is noble that all of his victims are white. I, I think that is intentional. It's mm. intentional because the whole idea of like society seeing him as this other thing, as this this potential monster, is very much about how society paints black people uh, in mm. the eyes of you know white conservatism or or, or whatever. Right? It's it's very much sure. that. Mm. Is so I think the idea that he like the world sees him as a potential monster to white people is very much why they've picked all the victims being white in this movie. I don't think that's an accident. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it adds to the to the messaging and the themes and all that. Um, yeah. But uh, there there is a sort of mm-hmm. dream sequence where he, he imagines biting because co- they go out on a date at one point to like a fairground mm-hmm. uh, to the boardwalk and the uh, he imagines biting her, but then he snaps mm-hmm. out of it and he wakes up. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> I think all the you know uh, horror scenes are like done really well. Uh, you know they all feel very visceral. Like they're all, um, you know, like uh, a lot of like uh, you know, shadows and silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just uh, yeah, like make it look really cool, but it also just feels like very, yeah, like <laughs> you know, like dark and dangerous. And, very very uh, uncomfortable feeling. I thought. Yeah. Uh, in a good way. I I think it's also one of the few times that the horror scene, with the exception of the ending, which does have music, mm. I'm pretty sure the horror scenes are maybe the only scenes in the movie that has music, because a lot yeah. of it is played in silence. But whenever the horror stuff starts, there is kind of a pulsing, there's kind of a ethereal <coughs> horror track that's playing over it, and it does give it this mm. kind of like feeling. It, it trains your brain to know that the music means that there's, there's murder in the brain kind of thing. Uh so, so obviously it's less of a horror movie than maybe some of the stuff that we typically watch uh, on this show, but I think the horror stuff is handled very well, but I, I, obviously I do think the larger like premise of the movie is very horrific, just more in a real-world way, in a more mm-hmm. natural kind of... I don't want to say subtle, but 
certainly not as an in your face mm. ah spooky monsters jumping out at you and going <laughs> ah yeah like i i think a lot of horror fans would probably still dig it just because yeah you know that you you can relate to like someone being obsessed with like vampires and stuff and mm-hmm. then you know there is still like pretty horrific scenes <laughs> and everything so i mean i i think as long as you know what you're getting into i i think you know most people would enjoy this like yeah i mean if you're looking for a light fun you know monster movie obviously you're not going to want to watch this but yeah it still would be something i'd easily recommend to people yeah uh for sure um i really can't praise it enough i the everything with like what his obsession with vampires and his need to feed them blood like means everything about what that's trying to say either about him as a character or about his place in the world and how he sees this. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Where I, where I see two clear paths of like interpretation with this one. I see the societal kind of political commentary of how he feels and his place in the world and what he's been convinced and conditioned to believe his place in the world is and how sad and depressing that is and how that turns into the vampire thing. Or mm-hmm. the personal stuff where how he... And you could argue that the, the men the, the blend together seamlessly. You could argue that, you know, part of... Uh, mm-hmm you know, like, what his parents went through to some extent. Maybe not his dad getting ill, of course, but uh, is also a, a, a condition and a, an, an knock-on <laughs> effect of the, of the world and how, uh, you know, the opportunities that they either had or didn't have. Um, so, you know, obviously the brother factors into that. Um, but at its core, I also think the movie is about all these people who are in this rut. Uh, both the main characters and the brother are all in this place, and it sounds like the parents were as well, where they were past this point where it felt like the world was over and they had no hope of getting out. And you're hoping that they do. You're hoping that they do find a way to overcome the circumstance they're in. And he gives her this chance. So you get this happy ending for her, but it's super bittersweet because he's, he does it at the expense of his own uh, his own life. And has you know his thinking is that he is a monster he has literally killed people so he you know he he does need to like take himself off the board which makes him super sympathetic because he does he is aware of what he's done he is aware of of the of the murder he's caused um yeah there's there's layers there's so many layers and i i can't uh recommend that enough and i feel like with each passing viewing it's going to just get more rich with with the ideas and stuff um Yeah. yeah like i um I was surprised at how much uh, I was still into this, even though, you know, like, um, you know, it, it probably, I, I mean, I most have probably been maybe like a, a year since I watched it. So I don't know if it, you know, knowing everything that happens and having it be a, a little bit more of a recent view, if it was going to, you know, maybe be a little duller or boring watching it again. But, you know, I got like sucked up into it, you know, like, right away and um and you know it's a it's a great length too like it's not like overly long or anything uh you know it still feels compelling even though like you know when it, even when it's just people talking and stuff like uh yeah i was you know really impressed uh watching it again yeah uh no it's wonderful it's just it's, it's massively directed i think because i think the second that, that first scene as soon as it starts you feel kind of like on edge so it immediately yeah. gets the feeling across and it, it never lets up throughout. Uh, it knows exactly how to handle each scene. Uh, mm. I say it, I, I really mean is Michael Shea, the director, knows how to handle each scene, but yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. So, no, wonderful stuff. I guess we're at, at the time to uh, to rate the film. So uh, what are you giving the transfiguration? 
Uh, I think I'll give it a, an 8.5. Uh, I mean, you know, everything we just discussed, like, you know, it's uh, really great. I mean, it has captivating characters, uh, has good horror elements. Uh, it's, you know, really interesting. And again, there's just a lot of stuff to think about and unpack. And, uh, you know, it's a movie that stays with you uh, for sure. And um, yeah, and performances are great. It really isn't anything, you know, too bad uh that i can think of um i mean could even maybe get bumped up a little bit uh maybe upon further viewings but yeah i think right now it's uh 8.5 for me hmm. uh, i'm gonna go with a straight nine uh I, I think this is one of my favorites my recent favorites uh, it's come out in 2016 i don't think i mentioned that at the start but um mm -hmm. you know I, I think this as far as the last decade goes this is this is one of these movies where uh I, yeah this was early enough last year that i think i put it on my top 50 because we did the top 50 of the decade at the end of the year oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. and i'm sure this popped up quite high and uh having seen that again there's no hesitation to keep it at the same height if not move it up a little mm -hmm. bit it's it's wonderful and you know just this, the sad tragedy of the of the vampire realizing that he's a vampire and that he's hurting people so like like mm -hmm. she you know she complains I, I i just there's something so funny to me that she actually brings up a, a scene from true, true blood and it ends up kind of <laughs> foreshadowing what the real ending of the movie is mm -hmm. and just how sad and tragic all that is I, it's just wonderful um mm -hmm. so nine out of ten for me uh cannot recommend the transfiguration enough so there you go and that's you know obviously we're doing vampire month fright night which you know first is kind of the your mainstream more campy traditional vampire story mm -hmm. this is us saying hey here's your more intricate you know different style uh unique film that you know challenges your preconceptions of what a vampire movie can be and i think that's mm -hmm. a good good balance to have obviously some of the classes we've already done uh, you know, we should mention, yeah, we've already reviewed Let the Right One In, we've already reviewed Girl Walks Home All Other Night, we've already reviewed, you know, a number of big vampire movies, so uh, make mm -hmm. sure you check it, because the playlist on YouTube, I never mentioned this enough in the videos, but I actually have got playlists on Mailfuzz TV's YouTube channel, uh, you can find like a vampire review playlist with all the vampire movies, and same as zombies, werewolves, you know, all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff, there's playlists, cool. check, the, check the playlist section, it's useful. Uh, it's mm -hmm. also broken down by decades as well, if you like, you like uh, a, a sort of decade picking mix. Of reviews mm -hmm. um but yes uh, at the risk of boring tim any longer explaining playlists <laughs> uh i will uh tell you that if you've made it this far in the review uh put the phrase twilight sucks into <laughs> the comments uh in fact i encourage that pretty much always to be honest but definitely on this review to let us know you got to the end uh, i'll make mm -hmm. tim pose for the thumbnail so here we go three two one pose I don't know why Tim looks so happy. Uh, I guess other than the fact that it's a great movie, but uh, questionable, questionable. Um, so yes, uh, you can do that. You can check out the, the comments and let us know what you think of the movie. You can like, subscribe. You can get us on patreon.com slash TV as we mentioned earlier. Uh, catch us on Twitter at Screams Midnight for updates and silly nonsense that Tim posts from time to time and all the rest of it. Uh, you can also check out other content that we have on Mailfist TV. Um, look out for the Atomic Cinema Experiment, the sci-fi movie podcast that I do with Tara, or you can look out for all the TV reviews that I do with Connor. Uh, a bunch of stuff on there to go check out. Uh, but otherwise, that is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching scary movies, and we will see you next time.